Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. All right. It is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you're new and we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm excited that we get to spend this time together. So grateful that you're here. And even if you're joining us online, glad you're joining us there. All right. We're going to take a little bit of time and look at God's word as we continue to explore this whole notion of generosity. And I feel like I got a, a front row seat to that in so many different ways this past week. And I just want to give a shout out to those of you who were a part of Family Promise this past week. Um, it was just a, a great week where we as a church got to host uh, three different families uh, to stay overnight throughout the entire week. It ended this morning. A bunch of you guys were upstairs cleaning up like mad men and mad women this morning. That was awesome. Thank you guys for that. But uh, it, was, it was just so fantastic to see. Uh, I had a conversation in passing with uh, one of the, the moms. So she's a, a young single mom, uh, has a three-year-old daughter. And uh, so I got to talk with her her first night in. So uh, she wasn't here on Sunday. She popped in on Monday. And so I was talking with her after one of my meetings. And her eyes were just big like saucers. And so I just wanted to say, hey, I'm glad that you're here. I'm, I'm glad that this gets to be your home for the week. I hope you have a great time here. And she says, I, this is my first day. Uh, yeah, I know you weren't here last night, but you're here today. She says, no, this is my first day in the program. I said, oh, that's a lot to take on, isn't it? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's so great. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, she says, this is my first time ever being in a church. It's like, oh, that's a big deal, isn't it? And, she, and looking down the kids' space, like if you've never been in our kids' area, like it's awesome, uh, kind of cartooned out on the walls, that kind of thing. So we were in that hallway, and she's like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life, and everybody's made me feel so welcome. I've never done this before. And she took a big breath, and she's like, oh, I so needed that. Mm. Like that deep breath said it all. Like she just needed a space to be And those of you who served in Family Promise, those of you who are part of our church who create spaces like that, uh, that's what you did. And she got to take a deep breath and she got to encounter Jesus throughout this entire week uh, through your love. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a part of that. It's something we do, whether you stayed overnight or brought food or hung out, you did that on the front line, but also all of us who are supporting these things uh, through giving, generosity, serving, those are the things that we get to be a part of. So thank you for that. Uh, And what a beautiful example of generosity because that's what we see God do. We've been recipients of his generosity, right? Because we understand that generosity uh, begins not with us, but with God. And he has given us his incredible generosity from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created. And we look at his abundance, his beauty, his creativity, and he invites us to walk with him in the world that he made. And he gives us his grace. Where we were enemies of God, rebellion, in rebellion, open rebellion against him. And yet he drew us into reconciliation. He drew us into his love through the sacrifice of Jesus. God loved the world in this way. He gave. He gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him would have life, eternal life, and never die. God gives. God is generous. And this is the beginning point for us understanding 
generosity. And as we think about what it looks like for us to live generous lives, it begs the question, like, what, what do we do when we don't have enough? What, do, what does it look like in the face of our lack, in the face of our scarcity? How do we live in generosity? It, it seems to work against that, doesn't it? Well, this passage that we're going to be looking at today holds that right out for us. I got to tell you, this last week was really one of those spaces for me where I had to grapple with my own fear of scarcity uh, within me. Uh, it wasn't a, a scarcity of finances in this particular situation. It was, just, it was a scarcity of time. Have you ever felt that? Like there is just not enough time. Hey, my day would be great if we could fit in 36 hours instead of 24 you ever felt that way? That, that's what my week was. And so I had even set aside specific space in this week to breathe deeply, to kind of look ahead on things, to do some studying for things that we aren't there yet, because that's kind of how I try to plan our series and those kinds of things. And so uh, it was just important stuff that I had to do. And what I found is there were these incredibly important things that came in, and I found myself going, what if I don't have enough time? What, what if I don't have enough this week? I had so much, I had expectations of what my time would produce. And what happens if I don't get those things? I have to live in disappointment. I have to live with other people's disappointment and not delivering on things that I said I would deliver on and things like that. And so I was feeling that. And, and honestly, it was even in preparation for this message that God held that out to me. and said, isn't it interesting? Take a look at what's going on inside of you, Matt. And then let's talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> because I was living in the world of lack and the, the fear of scarcity. It wasn't even the scarcity. It was the fear of scarcity. Is the what if I don't have enough that was actually constricting me. And so ironically, when, uh, when I'm feeling that constriction, when we have that fear of scarcity, the fear of not having enough, it actually shuts down our generosity and the desire to give and our capacity to love. And so God just really held out this passage and this teaching for me this week. And so um, I'm going to invite you all to listen in as I preach to myself this morning. So I'm just kind of holding up a mirror here. I'm just talking out loud to me and you all can listen in, see if it has anything to do with where you're at in your walk with Christ and generosity. All right. So let's jump into Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at a few verses. There's just, uh, it's just a handful of verses here in Mark chapter 12. It's the last section in that whole chapter, beginning at verse 41. It's a story that might be familiar to you, but, but don't let its familiarity uh, block you from its uh, potency for us, all right? So we're looking at Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 41. Uh, Okay, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. 
See, God's economy tends to work differently than ours does. And so as we hold out this story of Jesus and what he's teaching us in this moment, what he's drawing our attention to, we hold out this beautiful, beautiful reality, this powerful reality that in God's kingdom economy, our lack is not the limit to our living generously. In God's kingdom economy, our lack, my lack, your lack, our lack is not the limit to our ability to live generously. We'll just pause and pray for us for a moment. Father, do a good work in us, we pray. Draw attention to us of the places where we allow our lack to limit us in living generous lives. Reawaken us to your generosity, to your abundance. And let us breathe deeply in your love and grace this morning as we meet with you. Give us eyes to see. Like just even in this passage that we read, your son Jesus had eyes to see and he made sure others could see it too. And so would you give us eyes to see what we would normally pass right on by? Would you give us ears to hear what would so often be drowned out by the white noise? And would you give us hearts that are soft because so often we're stubborn, we're distracted and we're stubborn. And so do a good work in us that, that, that prepares our hearts as good soil to receive the seed of your word today and let it grow roots deep that we might be like a tree planted by living water, flourishing in every season and bear fruit for our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 We continue to remind ourselves that God gives generously out of his abundance. Psalm says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's actually pretty good. Like if, if we're not farmers, we might miss the allusion to cattle and go, so I got a bunch of cattle at my disposal. This is God's abundance. Like everything that I have is yours, O Lord. Scripture declares over and over and over again. God is the God of abundance. And out of his abundance, he lacks nothing. Even before creation, he lacked nothing. In and of himself, he was fully sufficient. He lacked nothing. Creation is an expression of his character. It's not a reflection of his lack of character or his lack of anything. And so God is abundant, full, complete. And out of that, it's his nature to be generous because he is love. But we have to contend with our lack. We have to contend with our scarcity our lack of capacity, whatever it may look like. But we remind ourselves in the beauty of what Jesus is drawing our attention to here, that in God's economy, in God's economy, the, war, the way the kingdom of God works, our lack, our lack is not the limit to our capacity to live generously. 
Let's look at the, the setting where this is taking place here. It's in the temple. And in the temple, there are a number of courts. And so uh, Jesus is sitting with a lot of people in this uh, kind of outer court area. It was referred to as the court of women. And in the, the, now the temple is incredibly important. It's, it's central to Jewish worship and faithfulness. And from its construction, it was designed to, one, reflect Eden. Just in how the tapestries were woven, how the things were explained, and all the different pieces that went into how the temple looks. It actually was drawing our attention back to uh, Eden. And so <clears throat> when we think of temple, we need to think of uh, a little Eden set right down there in the middle of God's people. Just the way that it was constructed. And there was God's presence in the most inner sanctum of this. People couldn't just casually walk in and out of this place. Once a year, the high priest was allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies where God's presence rested above the Ark of the Covenant, above the cherubim. And there was God's presence. And so to, to the, the temple is this place where heaven and earth come together. It's the place where God and his people are together. Of course, we know that God's promise, God's promise is that all of creation would be the place where heaven and earth come together, where God and his people reside. But because of sin and rebellion, there was limits to where that space would be. And so God was revealing himself in the temple. And so the temple was crucial. It was central to Jewish life and faithfulness. And so Jesus was there, and this was the final week of his life. He'd actually already done the triumphal entry, right? Palm Sunday, he uh, rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And then that week, he spent a lot of his time in the, in the temple. And it wasn't for the happiness of the keepers of the temple, for Jesus' time in the temple was most often spent not only in critique, but in proclaiming judgment on the temple and its keepers. For the very place that was designed to be crafted for heaven and earth to come together, for God and his people to reside, had been used to keep people out, had been used for their own enrichment. And so there as they sat in the temple, Jesus was drawing attention to something. He had been proclaiming judgment. He would continue to proclaim judgment on the temple. And it was actually that judgment that culminated in the religious leaders of his day just being furious with him. And there was no going back. There were times that Jesus had been in the temple in his life. He had even um, uh, condemned their practices at different times. But then he would sort of back away. But there was this moment as Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem. He knew this was the final encounter that would ultimately lead to his death. And so he pushed, and he pushed, and he pushed, not to pick a fight, but to draw into reality that which he understood, that which he knew. And so there he was, sitting in the temple. Like this is the context of what's happening here. And so Jesus is sitting there. Now a rabbi would sit when they would teach, and so he had taken the position of the teacher of the rabbi. And lots of people scurrying around, and Jesus so beautifully had eyes to see. There he was in this temple. And in this court of women, uh, there were lots of little uh, 
side doors and um, side storage areas. But as people moved freely about the court, there were 13 treasury containers. That's why this court of women was also called the court of treasury. And uh, our best sense of what those look like is they would be big boxes that would be secured. And then out of the top of those would be these trumpet-like metal features to let the coins drop in and make sure nothing got missed. You ever been in one of those stores where they had to the, put the coin in and, and it goes around and around? Those are fast, like I just... And they go, and then it drops in. And I just have to do another one, right? And then I try to go get another coin and do this whole story. So that's not exactly what it was there, but it had that kind of a shape to it. And that shape, uh, that, that, that trumpet-like feature was made out of metal. And so when you put your coins in there, it didn't necessarily go round and round and round and make this lit sound. It would just make this clank, 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 clank sound, right? Like you're dropping a bunch of coins uh, against metal. It made quite a racket. And so uh, there, there were people who were coming and they were giving their, uh, their gifts, their offerings uh, to the temple uh, for the good of the temple. Uh, just pause for a second here, right? So when, the, uh, when, when God had set aside his people in the promised land, there were 12 tribes of God's people. And each of those 12 tribes, except one, got land inheritance in the promised land. Several of them had it um, on the east of the Jordan River. They, 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 they said, this land is good enough for us. And then the others crossed over and they got their portions of land. And so that land was tied into what it means to be the people of God. Sense of inheritance was tied to the land. The sense of economy was tied to the land. Their, God's blessing on them was tied to the land. And so 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel uh, received an inheritance of land as they went into the promised land. The one that was left out was the tribe of Levi. And these were the people who were appointed as the, uh, the, 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 the caretakers of the, um, the temple hadn't been built at that point, the tabernacle. They were the ones who were serving God. And so they were devoting themselves to that. And so they didn't have a plot of land. And so God's provision for them, God's blessing is that out of the blessing and prosperity of the 11, other 11 tribes, a portion of that would come into the common treasury of tabernacle and then temple. And that's how that would be cared for. So the tabernacle was sort of the, the moving temple when they were wandering in the wilderness and before they had settled in the promised land, before they had built the temple, uh, which was actually the third king of Israel was the one who got to build the temple, Solomon. So before the temple was built, the Levites were the caretakers of this whole apparatus of worship and being in God's presence. And their inheritance was to be provided by the uh, prosperity and the offerings of the other 11 tribes. So now we're in the temple. These temple offerings were being given. It was a part not just of ritual, but of the rules. This was expected that worshipers would drop their offering in the coffers. That's how the temple was provided for. And so there's Jesus sitting in the courtyard just watching the people. You ever done people watching? Maybe you're at the airport a little bit early. Maybe you're hanging out in a store or something or you're just downtown sitting on a bench and you just kind of people watch. Jesus was great at watching people. 
and he just watched a person after person drop in their offerings. And some people, boy, they made quite a racket. There was a whole lot of clatter, 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 clatter as their big offerings hit the, hit the metal and sank down into the coffers. And so Jesus is watching this and he says to his disciples, hey, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Watch this. Watch this. Because right, they're all looking around, they're, they're watching, they, they don't have the same eyes to see. But with kingdom eyes, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, come here, watch this, I want you to see something. See that woman right there? Yeah. This poor woman, this widow. Right, there, there was enough that Jesus was seeing that he knew precisely who she was. And clink, clink, and it was done. All these others, the racket of 12 other uh, receptacles of the offering all the way around. And then there was one. Clink, clink. The disciples weren't necessarily sure how to respond in that moment. And we're not even told really how they'd respond, but I'm familiar with human nature. I am one, so I kind of know how human nature tends to respond, right? And as humans, we tend to be impressed by a lot, aren't we? Like lots of bills, lots of coins, blingy cars, right? Like we, we are easily impressed by much. And so perhaps the disciples saw this and thought to themselves, oh, that's embarrassing, Look at what other people are doing here. And here, here's this woman who just walks up. Blink, blink. Oh. Like, that's good. Like, she's doing what she's supposed to do, but I kind of feel bad for her. Like, how embarrassing that must have been. And then Jesus speaks to them. Did you catch his words? As you look at her, look at this poor widow. It says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Disciples. Yeah, I know. Wait, what? Say it again? Yeah, she's, she's put more in than all the others. Lord, <clears throat> no offense, but you're bad at math. Like, clearly. Like, did you just see it? Like, think, think. And listen to the racket and all these others. And look at that guy over there. He's just unloading a satchel full, coin after coin after coin. It's like a train coming through. Because, of course, they knew what a train was. They did not. Right? So this is what I'm imagining taking place around this conversation. And why Jesus holds out, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Well, why is that? That doesn't make sense. It says, verse 44, they gave out of their wealth. They gave out of what they had. But she, out of her lack, out of her poverty, out of her inability, put in everything. All that she had to live on. So here's this poor widow marginalized, put to the side, not very important in the whole scheme of things. Yet Jesus is drawing our attention to her. 
He's taken our sense of economy and turning it upside down with the example of this woman. Like this is all that Jesus says about her. He, he doesn't say anything else. But again, we can begin to, like what, what do we see in her faithfulness? She gave the last that she had. She held nothing back. So I suspect as Jesus was looking at that and holding it up for his disciples, he saw incredible trust. Like to do that, this poor widow would have had to have trusted, right? And here she was. This was the space she was allowed to go in, to be near to Yahweh, to be near to the Lord. And that little gift Blink, blink. Oh, what an act of trust. She, she would have to trust. Not in the system, because frankly, the system has betrayed her. Her trust was in the Lord. That's what she was there for. That's, that's who she was there to meet. It was an act of worship and trust. Blink, blink the unimpressive little offering. What an act of trust. She gave everything she had. Where would her next meal come from? How would she buy at the market the next day? She trusted Yahweh's provision. Hmm. And what a heart of devotion. Everything. She held nothing back. Compare that to other stories we get out of scripture. The couple who sold their land and brought it all before the apostles. This was after Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they were asked, Did you, is this everything from the land? And they said, yes. They came in individually and both of them died. Right? Because they were holding something back. They were deceiving. They were holding back and lying about it. Here's this marginalized woman, this poor widow on the outs, blink, blink, and gave everything she had. Held nothing back. What devotion. Her life was being put into the hands of her God. Trust and devotion mark the beauty of this poor widow. And then Jesus commends her for this. It's a striking and disorienting contrast for them as it is for us. But Jesus continually draws us into this reality. When he began to preach, he said, um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's in your midst. It's within your grasp. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe this good news. And his preaching and his life and his miracles, everything he did was drawing those who had ears to hear into this kingdom. And it's a disorienting space. The economy works different. The math works different in that space. For in our world, in the world of this age, the age in which we live... More is more. <laughs> right? That's how the math works. More is more. And quite frankly, I wouldn't mind a little bit more. And in the kingdom economy, zip, 
flips it right upside down. But he's, he's not highlighting a little, right? Because again, we get caught up on what we can see. And so our first assumption might be something like, well, if it's upside down, then, then a little must be more. Because we get still caught up on the coins, don't we? We get caught up in what we can see, what we can touch, what we can hear. Blink, blink. And so the temptation for us is to say, oh, it's, it's, it's to God's delight if we just give a little bit. It, it's to God's delight if, if we just do a little bit. But this isn't what Jesus is showing us. He's showing us her heart. For our heart is exposed by the way that we live. And here is a woman who, who wasn't welcomed to the, to the center of society because of her station. She was pushed to the edges of it. And here is this woman whose heart is being revealed, not simply because it's only two coins, but because it's her last two coins. And so Jesus takes our normal evaluations and turns it on its head. It's striking. It's disorienting. And it reveals so much about my own sense of scarcity, my fear of scarcity. I don't have enough. Maybe it's in the face of the problems that are just too much and I don't have enough to solve the problems. Maybe the, the grief and the sorrow of the one that you're walking with, it's just too much, I can't make them feel better. It's in the face of such discouragement or depression and anxiety and I don't have enough to make it better. It's in the face of, of, of need, of very real need and my pockets are empty, I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough intelligence. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough understanding and relational resources. Name it. But what gets exposed in the way that we live is our hearts. And so often my heart and many of our hearts get strangled by scarcity and the fear of scarcity. And that fear of scarcity constricts us and prevents us from living in the full-on, wholehearted, beautiful, loving generosity of God. When we constrict ourselves, we constrict our re uh, reception of God's love and grace for us and God's provision, and we constrict our capacity to be an ambassador of that love and grace into the lives of people around us. And so we've got to confront those places where our scarcity is either perceived or real. Because in the face of scarcity, in the face of lack, our impulse is to keep. But in the kingdom of God, there is another impulse. There is another way. There is another perspective that Jesus is shaping. That he's shaping in these simple little things. Hey, come look at this. Hey, come look at this, watch. And off in the distance, we see a woman. Blink, blink. 
Oh, wow. Did you see that, guys? Did you see that? That woman gave more than all the others. How is that possible? Oh, because everybody else came out of, gave out of their abundance. They gave, and it didn't cost them much. But her, she gave, and it cost her everything. See, the kingdom of God is for precisely such as these. Do you remember when Jesus said that? Remember when Jesus said, we get this in Matthew chapter 5. We, we get it when Jesus says exactly that. Here he's showing it, but he had previously taught it, and it wasn't the first, the first or the last time that he did so. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are pushed to the side. Blessed who are those who show up with empty pockets. Blessed are those who um, are unimpressive. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so now, in the very week that he's about to die, where his death would blow the doors open to this very kingdom, he says, come here, look, did you see it? The kingdom has touched down. Blink, blink. Not because we celebrate her scarcity, but because this woman knows abundance beyond her stuff. And out of that comes great blessing and generosity. See, generosity is a reflection of trust. When, when we're living in generosity, it's a, it's a trust that God will provide what we need. Generosity, kingdom generosity is a pouring out in the face of our lack because we trust that God will provide what he's calling us to in a particular moment. This isn't a a self-flagellation type of a thing. This isn't a... um, uh, I guess there is a call to foolishness, right? Don't we want to draw up some fences around this and say, but we need to be wise. We need to, we need to take care of things. We need to be responsible. We need to provide for the future. Like we want to put up all this stuff. And, and there's a foolishness in what Jesus is talking about here. There's a foolishness in following Jesus with everything that you have as we release our grip in a spirit-infused generosity. This is why generosity begins with him and not beginning with us. Generosity begins with him. And that's what cultivates this trust that God will indeed provide. He will do what he says he will do. Do I trust him? Or do I trust me? Right? I'm still just preaching to the mirror. You guys are listening in. Generosity is also a reflection of devotion. This woman was devoted to her Lord, Yahweh. 
He was the object of her trust and her devotion. You see, our generosity is not only a reflection of what God has given us, but our generosity is a gift that blesses him. When we care for the people around us, we are caring for his image bearers. Those that he has crafted, those that he has knit together, those that he has put in time and space precisely right there, those whom he loves. And when we are generous towards those that he loves, we are generous towards him. And the receptacle of our generosity is not a wooden box and a trumpet-like top where we hear the clang, clang, clang of the offering, the receptacle of our generosity is flesh and blood, is emotions and thoughts. It's the people around us. And so the clang, clang, clang of the offering sounds a lot less like coins on tin and much more like Welcome, come in. It sounds a lot more like, oh, I can provide that. It sounds a whole lot like, can I just sit with you while you cry? It sounds like, okay, kids, gather around. We're going to talk about this lesson a little bit. It looks like showing up at the teenagers play or a sporting event and cheering them on and making sure that they know that they see you and you're for them and you're rooting for them. For our experience of God's presence is not bound by walls and gates anymore. For in Christ, Eden has touched down in our midst. Heaven and earth has come together and it's spreading through the power of his spirit. It's spreading to you and it's spreading through you. And the invitation of kingdom generosity is the kingdom to trust and to worship as we walk in faithful obedience to the God who provides. There's a passage of scripture that feels pretty real for us. And it's a reminder that at the end of the day, it's his provision. It's Psalm chapter 23. And what we're going to do for a moment here is we're going to read Psalm 23 slowly together. And as we do it, take in each of these lines. And listen, these, this was a psalm that had shaped those who were in Jesus' day of what it looked like for our God to provide. So it's going to be up on the screen. I want to invite you to read it with me, just line by line together. You ready? Let's do it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Keep that, keep that up. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what it means. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me in these peaceful places, lets me drink from good water. He refreshes my soul when my soul feels depleted. Even when facing enemies, those who are against me, those who want to take, those who want to harangue, those who want to take advantage of, even in that place, the Lord sets out a banquet before me in their presence. Even they can't steal his provision from me. And oh, when we walk in the darkest spaces of life, the valley of the shadow of death, he is a comfort in the face of even death. For he is with us, and surely his goodness, surely his mercy, surely his steadfast love shall be present with me all of my life. And I will dwell in his house forever. Did you see it? Can you see her? Blink, blink. And there she is. She knows the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Blink, blink. Let's pray. Father, you are our shepherd a good shepherd and therefore we lack nothing. Touch down in our midst and teach us to walk with you in your ways that we might walk in your abundance and be ambassadors of your generosity in a way that blesses you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Stand with me if you would. <clears throat> For those who have come face to face with their inability, with their scarcity, with their lack, be of good cheer. He is your good shepherd. May you walk with him. For in him you lack no good thing. May you know his richness. May you know his peace. May you know his grace. May you know his abundant love as you walk with him into the world in which you go. Blessings as you go. Bye now. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. 
Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.